0: Get your Bibles out and let's uh, dig into the Word here. Turn to John chapter 1. We're going to begin to look at the Christmas story. We're going to begin to look at this time of the year and, and remember the, the, the wonder, the mystery of the Christmas story. It's Advent season. Advent season. Now, if you are not familiar with Advent is the, it is the beginning of the church year for most churches in the Western tradition. It is, it is the beginning of the church calendar historically. Now, I didn't grow up with the church calendar and, and, and working through it, but the church has its own unique calendar that highlights the messages of the Scripture and the history of God interacting with His people. And the Advent season... Uh, begins the calendar, and it is uh, it begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, all right? So last week was the first Sunday. This is the second Sunday, and it usually starts around November 30th, and then it ends on Christmas Eve. And so Advent season, it's something that is valuable for us to look at and to begin to practice. As I said, I, I didn't grow up necessarily practicing the church calendar, but I find that our culture and our society directs our calendar a lot, and we tend to obey the commercial consumer calendars more than we uh, are highlighting the, the, the work of Christ and, and what he's done throughout history. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to look at the calendar more and more, uh, the church calendar, the historical calendar, um, and begin to practice these things, or at least begin to highlight them for you. Advent is marked by a spirit of expectation. It's marked by a, a spirit of anticipation. It's a, 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 an experience of preparation and of longing. It reflects for us the, the, the heart of God's people that we're longing to see the Messiah. They were longing. They they had had stories of it in the Old Testament. They had prophets who had declared it. They they were looking for the salvation of God that was going to come to them. And Advent is a season where where we identify with those people. And we long for Christ to come. Uh, Advent is about longing for deliverance as the children of Israel were longing for deliverance from Egypt. And God opened up the Red Sea and took them out of Egypt and delivered them. And as we look around the globe, what we can see is that there is so much tyranny There is so much sinfulness and and people's lives, injustice reigns across the globe. All you have to do is turn on the news. And as you turn on the news, you can see it, what's, what's happening to the earth. There is a longing for justice to be done. There is a longing, a desire for salvation. And I think in the same way that we identify with God's people coming and, and wanting the Messiah to come to them, we also look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus came the first time like you and I come into the world. He came as a baby. He came in human form. He came into this world as the child, the son of God. And and then he grew up and he came to... to um, work alongside of a a whole bunch of people, his family and neighbors and friends, and then suddenly he revealed himself. God revealed him as his son, and he began to do miraculous things. He began to heal people. He began to touch them in in an effort to demonstrate to all the people of the world that God is full of love and full of kindness, and his desire is for them to draw near to him. In fact, that's what, that's what Jesus came the first time for, to draw near to us, to identify with us. And so we live in the great in-between, the great in-between, the first coming of Jesus, and now we long and look for the second coming of Jesus when he will come and put everything to rights. He will come and reign as a king. He will come and be the judge and he will come and make everything in the world according to his reign and according to his rule. We look forward to that. We long for it because it's not here right now. And so in this great in-between, it is hope that we have. And the Advent season reminds us that there is hope, that Jesus came once. He came the first time. He comes even now to heal us. In the midst of our brokenness, in the, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our sin, He comes and he, and he takes it away and He heals us and He gently leads us and He causes us to lift our eyes and look to what is coming. And it gives us an urgency to share, to share who Christ is, what He's done, what's going on in our lives, and to share the freedom that people are longing for so badly, they're struggling for it. And we look and we long for this, and He's coming. And, and Advent season is the thing that we, that we look at in the... That really, it's a, a huge, epic drama of God's interaction with humanity. Advent season is a time for us to remember that. And I fear that instead of uh, commemorating what Jesus has done when He came into the earth or celebrating... Um, what he did, and then anticipating his coming, we somehow, we, we lost the wonder of who Jesus really is. We've sort of lost the mystery. It's just all kind of bound up in Santa Claus and getting to the store to buy your presents. <laughs> you know, just, just trying, to, trying to get through the holidays. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Just trying to get through the holidays, man. Listen, Jesus wants to meet you in the holidays. For so many people, the holidays are a a very painful time. Advent season highlights the fact that this pain can be taken away by the healer. It can be touched. It can be healed. And so as we begin to look at the scriptures tonight, I want you to think about your view of Jesus Think about your view of Jesus through Christmas. When you think about Christmas, you think about this season, do you see him as a cute little baby? Just a cute little baby, all vulnerable and sweet. Yeah, he was that. Actually, he he came that way on purpose, and you know why? To demonstrate to you that he understands what you've been through. He came vulnerable, he came open, he came innocent. He did not come pressuring you or forcing you. He came to offer Himself. He comes like that on purpose. But we have to see Him as more than just the baby. We have to see Him as more than just the story. We have to be filled with the mystery and the wonder that is Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, the one and only who came into the world to rescue the world. C.S. Lewis is a brilliant author and theologian. Many of you have read some of his his writings. And in The Joyful Christian, here's what he said. All right, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we may note in passing that Jesus was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. Just a mere moral teacher. He produced mainly three effects. Are you ready? Three effects. Hatred. Terror or adoration. Hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. The the title of this talk is The One and Only, Jesus, The One and Only, but the subtitle could be, do you give Jesus mild approval? Mild approval is what we give to a book that we read. Mild approval is what we give to a restaurant that we review on uh, Yelp. Mild approval is what we say about a movie that we just saw and said, you know, it was all right, the acting was okay, but, you know, the story we had problems. We, 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 sometimes we enter into mild approval of Jesus instead of seeing him as he really is, Mild approval is, I guess, okay. It's better than outright rejection. But how would it be different than a rave review? Nothing to really get excited about. It's casual. It's just restrained. It's impossible to give Jesus Christ mild approval when you really understand him. Jesus Christ can be ignored or he can be adored, but he cannot receive mild approval. Jesus is the creator. He's the redeemer. He's the judge. We can't be casual about that. And I want to challenge your view of Jesus tonight. In fact, I just kind of want to do an old-fashioned sermon on Jesus. Jesus. Who, who was he and, and how does this work? Because the incarnation is an important idea. Who Jesus was when he came to the earth is an important concept to you and to me. If we don't understand it, we we don't really get that he was a supernatural person who lived in human flesh, right? We sort of treat him like a great teacher. We treat him like a a buddy. (laughs) Jesus Jesus did say that I call you friends. That's what he said to his disciples. But, But he's certainly not our buddy. He's so much more than that. The incarnation is an is an important idea. Um, in fact, you just say that word, incarnation. incarnation. Okay. Do you, do you know what that word means? It's a, it's a bit of a theological term. It, it does not mean uh, a breakfast drink. It is, it is something that describes Jesus incarnate. In the in the Nicene Creed, we just we just said, it said that he came and he was born of a virgin. He was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. He Became flesh. Carne is the root word there. Carne means meat. Meat. Flesh. Jesus became flesh. The way I always remember it is chili con carne. It's like you know what chili con carne is? It's chili with meat. Jesus came to be to us a signal, a sign. He came to us to show us that that He understands us, that He loves us, but more than that, He came to, to do something. All right, so John chapter one, verse one, let's read through it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, when we read about the Word of God, most people wanna describe this this book as the word of God, and it, and it is, of course, but the, the true word of God was Jesus Christ, his son. The best word that, G, that God had to give us was his son coming to the earth. What John is saying here is if you don't understand what Jesus did and said, you don't understand the word of God. You can read the, the pages, you can read the words on the page, but if you don't have a picture of Jesus and, a, and the work of his Holy Spirit illuminating the scriptures, you don't get it. Jesus was the word of God. He was the best word that God ever gave. He, say, he, he, he communicated his grace and his mercy through Jesus but so this is saying that Jesus was there at the beginning. He was with God. He was he was he was with God and it says in verse 3 through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. It's reminiscent of creation, isn't it? It's really it's really the the apostle John writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and mixing these two These two ideas that Jesus was there at the beginning speaking light into the darkness and forming the worlds. And he comes again to speak light into the darkness and change our world. He's he's connecting the two ideas in imagery. Verse 6 says, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. It's Describing John. Now, this John is John the Baptist. Not the writer of this book, but it John the Baptist. And he was announcing that Jesus was coming. Verse 10 continues to describe him. He says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, meaning Jesus. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now just pause right there. Verse 10, he's, what, he, what John is really saying is he created the world, and the very world he created didn't recognize him. He came to a group of people that he was placed in as a family member, and his own people didn't recognize him. God's people didn't recognize him, even though he had a hand in creating those people. Verse 12 says, yet all, to all receive him, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. He was supernatural. He was the firstborn of the supernatural people that God wanted to create, that God wanted to birth into the world. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus came as a way to say a new age has been entered into. A new age has been opened up. It is the age of the kingdom of God. Yes, we've had the Old Testament writings and we've had God's people who he's taken through the wilderness and the desert and he's taught them and he's trained them. They've resisted him, they've rejected him, they've turned away from him, they worshipped other idols, they worshipped other gods. God continued to reach out to them. He punished them. He he began to discipline them, but he'd always say, "I'm going to call you back. I want you to come back." And finally, throughout history, one man arrives in a family, the family line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the family line of David, the king, and he he becomes the savior of the world. He's the firstborn among many who would be supernaturally changed. That's who we are. That's what Jesus does. Not just a good man with good teachings. He was supernatural, a supernatural being that transforms us, that gives us birth into the kingdom of God. Verse 14, one of my favorite passages in the Bible It says, the word became flesh. Everybody say flesh. Flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. In the message Bible, Eugene Peterson, brilliant, author and writer, he, he, he paraphrases it from the original language. He says it like this. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> it's a good way to see it, isn't it? God moved into the neighborhood. God moved in next door and he's hanging out. He's working. God moved in and demonstrated who he was, showed who he was. In in a way, this is the same idea that he wants to happen with you and with me. Now You can't become Jesus. There was only one. Only one. One and only. I've heard people say, we need to be Jesus with skin on. No, that's impossible. You can't be Jesus. Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. Jesus was Jesus with skin on. (laughs) He was God with skin on. And what what, what happens to us is we're transformed from who we are and we're birthed into God's kingdom. And by the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in just a second, Jesus begins to be revealed through us. We don't reveal who we are. We reveal who Jesus is. It's a powerful, powerful idea. Verse 15 says, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. It sounds like a confusing thing to say, doesn't it? (laughs) He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was way before me. He already existed. This man who's right here, he's gone. He's going to go way past me. I'm just the announcer. I'm just the guy who's talking about it, coming. But he's, he's surpassed me because he was so far behind me. He always has been. He always will be. This is who he's talking about. Verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have, re- we have all received one blessing after another. Another translation says grace upon grace. What it means is you received the grace of God speaking through his words, the, the Ten Commandments, the people of God. But now beyond that grace is the grace of Jesus Christ, the one who comes in grace and truth. Look what he says in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The, hey, hey, the grace of Jesus Christ is so much better than what came before it. Look what he says in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only. Say that together. The one and only. Say it one more time. The one and only. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. God, the Father, made himself known through Jesus, the one and only. And he comes with grace. He comes with grace and truth. Most of us have a misunderstanding of what grace is. Most of us think that grace means uh, forgiveness and acceptance. Some kind of, you know, God forgives me and he accepts me kind of just as I am. Listen, can I just challenge you that grace is so much bigger than that? Grace is not so small. Now, it, listen, to be sure, forgiveness and acceptance is good. Because I don't know about you, but I, I know I'm pretty lousy. I, I appreciate being forgiven and I appreciate being accepted just as I am. However, Christians who don't get God's grace, they kind of go through life miserable. Eh, I'm just, you know, no good. I'm just a sinner. I'm just trying to do my best one more day, you know, just struggling. I don't know. I'm so glad God forgives me and accepts me. It's like, wow, and I want to go to church with you because... Yeah, see, there's something more than that. There's something more than just accepting you just as you are or forgiving you because you stink. There is... There is grace. And what is grace? If you were around church any longer than three weeks, you've probably heard somebody say that grace is unmerited favor. But most of you don't know what unmerited means. So let's just use favor. (laughs) Because the truth is, grace, favor is unmerited, but but it's not in the, unmerited is not in the definition of grace. Grace just means Favor. Favor. If you don't remember anything else I say today, I want you to remember this sentence. God is for you and not against you. He is for you and not against you. He's doing all that he he can and all that he wants to do to try to convince you that he's drawing near to you and he wants you to draw near to him. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he's given you his spirit. That's why he gives you gifts. That's why he speaks to you. That's why he continues to draw you to himself. There's something so important about understanding grace that Jesus brings he was different he brought the, the new age he brought a new covenant so what so so how do we look at Jesus then how do we understand the incarnation well i want to give you 3 ways to understand the incarnation I want to give you three ways to get how the incarnation works. What what is so significant about Jesus, all right? Number one, Christ became one of us. We've already talked about that. He became one of us, but why? Not just to understand us, not just to identify with us, but he came to destroy death. He came to destroy destroy sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, turn over there. Hebrews 2 if you, if you have your bible turn over if you're using your smartphone turn on your bible to Hebrews chapter 2 Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and look what it says it, it says since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil he came to destroy the works of darkness and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In humanity, we have a fear of death. People die around us and, and it, it, it causes grief. People in our family pass away and it causes deep grief. But here's the thing. What Jesus did is he came to destroy the work of death. That Death is not the final thing that happens to you. That eternal life begins now inside of you and then it's unleashed at death because of who Jesus was. Jesus was the first one to conquer death. He was placed in a tomb, the sins of the world upon him taking our place. We deserve death because we were so foolish, we're so sinful, we are born into this sinful nature, but we've been redeemed by this, this one, the only, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he was placed in a tomb, and by God's power, he was raised from the dead. He overcame and conquered death. Okay, this, this, this is the significance of how he destroys sin and death. He says, uh, let's let's pick it up in verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Now, most of you understand what a a high priest would be, but... These were the people that ministered before God, the Ark of the Covenant, in the the temple, the holy place. They were the priests who would offer sacrifices and who would would, um, take care of the duties of the temple. And so Jesus becomes the great high priest he becomes the one who is merciful and faithful the high priest in service to God that he and he's the one who make a, makes atonement is what the scripture says atonement for the sins of the people and look at verse 18 I love this because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted You can overcome temptation because of Jesus. You can handle temptation because Jesus knows exactly what you're facing. He faced everything you face. Everything that we faced in humanity, he was tempted on. He was challenged. He understands. In fact, if you turn over a few pages, you see in Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, 14, you see that he he says, we have a high priest who is has not been untouched or unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And then it says, so let us approach the throne of, of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Look, you don't have to skulk up to God's throne. Skulk, do you know what that means? Oh, god, I'm so awful, I'm so terrible. Listen, if you will turn to Jesus, if you will turn, if you will remember what He's done, if you will embrace Him and believe in Him, if you will trust in the work that He did on the cross, you will be able to go boldly to the throne of grace. God's grace, it's so good. Number two, Christ lives within us. If we uh, want to understand the incarnation, we have to understand that Christ lives within us through or by the work of the Holy Spirit. And He comes to transform us. See, I, I don't want you to get the idea that the incarnation is just about Jesus coming and just us being forgiven and accepted. It's about us being transformed. And the way that happens is by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, think just a little lesson on what happened to Jesus. Jesus came. He lived here 33 years. He died. He was placed in a tomb. He was resurrected. He he hung around for like 40 days, hung around after his resurrection to be seen by loads of people. People saw him everywhere. He appeared to the disciples like three or four times and like went through walls and showed up on on a beach and, and cooked him food and ate fish. And he was just hanging around in his new glorified body. It was super weird. And he then left. Acts chapter 1 describes his leaving, and, and he leaves, and he ascends up into the clouds. What a trip. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? It's like. you see, it's, and, and the Bible actually says that the angels showed up when they were there, and they were looking up into the sky is what the Bible said. And an angel shows up. You can imagine him walking up, and it's like, What are you doing looking up there? (laughs) This same Jesus who has left you will return in the same manner with which he has left. Now go go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift. Wait for the promise. What was the promise? It was the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making what the Bible calls intercession or he's standing in the gap so that when you fail, when you and I fail, when we sin or we do something foolish as we turn to God, he sees us through the work of Christ when we embrace what Jesus has done. He doesn't see our sinfulness or our failure. He sees the work of Christ that took our sin and took our failure upon himself. And so he sees us through that lens, and he forgives us, and he loves us, and he, and he heals us. That was God's plan all along. And so what happened is Jesus is there and, and at the right hand of the Father, and now the Holy Spirit has come to the planet, the third person of the Trinity. He lives in you and in me. If we believe, if we are willing to open up our hearts to what God wants to do. Now, some of you have been, some of you are scared of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are like, Pastor Ross, I was with you right up until you said Holy Spirit. and Because I've seen some weird people. <laughs> I went to a church one time, and they were talking about the Holy Ghost. Is that the same guy? The Holy Ghost. That's the King James Version. No, man, the Holy Spirit is God's best idea. The Holy Spirit is God's representation here on the earth. And what happens is, is he comes and he begins the work of transformation. You're a new creation. Your DNA is changed. You become born of the Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit assists you in resisting the enemy, in in conquering your own flesh that wants to go against God. And he works with you and begins to produce fruit in your life. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. So don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Don't don't resist him. He is the way Christ lives through you. Look at what John 14, turn back to John 14. If you go back in your your Bible all the way over to John chapter 14, and we see in verse 14, verse 15, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Now, when you first read that, that phrase, guess what you do? You kind of go, man, I really want to love God, but I'm not very obedient, so maybe I don't love him very much. All right, that's, a, that's guilt. That's the accuser. That's, a, that's the wrong way to read it. I want you to notice what comes immediately after. He says, I, I, the way you know how to obey me is you've got to fall in love with me. You've got you to fall in love with me, and here's how I help you do that. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, And he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. You're like, I don't know if I can handle this Holy Spirit thing. I don't want to look stupid. Like, too late. I mean, you are all going to look stupid sometimes, it's just for what reason. He says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither knows him, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. He's in you, he speaks to you, he he can he leads you, he begins to transform you. If you go down a few verses to verse 26, he says, But the advocate, all right, he's called him a counselor, he calls him an advocate, he's your advocate, he's the one who stands with you and stands for you. He says, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. How many things? Wait, wait, wait. He'll teach you how many things? He'll teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. That's what Jesus said. (laughs) Jesus knew that you would forget everything he told you. (laughs) Jesus knew that you'd forget things he said. Now, Now, I forget what Jesus said, but you know what? I don't have to remember because the Holy Spirit lives in me and begins to remind me. He begins to tell me. He begins to speak to me. He reminds me, and then I, all suddenly I do remember it. How, on my own willpower? No, by the work of the Spirit in me. And suddenly I'm transformed. Suddenly I begin to act like Jesus. I begin to do the things that Jesus did. I begin to be his follower. And pr- before you know it, other people, my neighbors, my work uh, buddies, my, the people at my school, they notice and something happens there. You know, in Austin, they say, man, you got really good energy. That's awesome. That's cool. And it's true. You do. You have great energy. The Holy Spirit is that energy. He's the source of life. Jesus is most present in our lives when we are willing to embrace and surrender to the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see it. The incarnation. Ready? He came once. He comes in you by the work of the Spirit. He shows up in your life. The Holy Spirit begins to transform you into His image, which is another Jesus in the flesh, Jesus in your flesh. And then, finally, Christ reveals Himself through His people. He reveals Himself through His people. He comes to give us the ministry of reconciliation. He comes to share with us and and work through us and communicate himself to others. I want to read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5. Oh, I'm not going to start in verse 14. I'm going to start in 17, all right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if you want to turn over there. Let's just read that real quick. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, here's what it says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Take your little pen and underline that phrase. That's an awesome phrase right there. He was, he was, he was not counting people's sins against them. And he committed, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciling our way of life to his way of life. Changing our way of life to match his way of life. So he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Through us. I think it's so easy for us to forget that we are ambassadors that we are in a process of transformation. That 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 God's ultimate goal is reconciling the world. That He wants to be, um, He wants to be the centerpiece of our lives. You know, you you heard Pastor Brent up here during communion, and he says it, and I say it each week that Jesus is the centerpiece of all Christian worship. And sometimes we, I think, we forget who He really is, and we begin to to just give mild approval to Jesus and we become the center of our lives. We become the center of everything that's going on around us and we try to get God to do for us the things that we want him to do when in reality, if we'll put Jesus at the center, it changes everything. If you turn over to Colossians 1, we'll read this last passage. of Colossians 1. The Apostle Paul is writing to the believers at Colossae. And he's challenging them because they had the same problem we do today. The same problem existed in their day, their time, as is in our time. And in our time, one of the main problems we have is called syncretism. Syncretism is a word it means that you're synchronizing. What, what they're doing is they're taking pagan religions and they're putting them together with biblical ideas so they take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and they put it all together a little bit of buddhism a little bit of hinduism and you could see this in our culture everywhere across our culture people are saying well don't what's the big deal come on stop being an intolerant bigot don't you just know that everybody is looking for the same god it's all the same we're all trying to get to him he knows there's no big deal Jesus is the big deal. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And sadly, in that way, it is intolerant. The way is narrow. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to life. That's what Jesus said. Now, When I say that, what do I want you to do? Go to your neighbor's house and bang on the door and tell them they're going to go to hell? No, that's not going to work. That kind of motivation doesn't really work. That kind of negative motivation, what you have to do is become, you have to see Christ working in you through your life, through your heart, becoming the flesh and blood that moved into the neighborhood. God revealing himself. And so Paul is trying to help them understand who Jesus really is. And so he starts in verse 15 of chapter 1. So join me in, in, let's, let's start at verse 13 in chapter 1. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then he begins to describe him. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. You know, in the Old Testament, when God said, don't make any idols, don't serve any idols and don't make any graven images. Don't make any image idols of me. Why? There can only be one. Jesus is the exact representation. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who gives us the best illustration of God. Jesus is the one and only that his the 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 image that he that God wants us to see of who he is the firstborn over all creation the first one who was supernaturally born for verse 16 says for by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things were created by him and for him you know what that means it means what Paul is saying is he was there at creation He was part of creating all things, and frankly, all things were created for him to rule over. We don't quite see it yet. We pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why do we do that? Because it's not there. We're still in the in-between, but we look forward to a day. We long for the day when Jesus will make everything right, and he will rule and reign, and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. This is what this says. It says he was there at the beginning. He's going to be standing there at the end. Here's what happens in our culture. This is not that big of a deal. Oh, can't we just take a little bit of this, a little bit of that? There is a hunger, there's a tendency in our culture to ignore Jesus or to give him mild approval, hatred. There's very little terror. But there will be, if you, read, if you read Revelation and you see this guy who shows up on a horse <laughs> with a massive sword and eyes burning like fire. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is the one, verse 17, who was before all things and in him all things hold together. How many things hold together? All th- wait. Some things hold together. A few. Your house holds together. What? What? It- in Jesus, all things come together. In Jesus is the one who holds all things together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the what does that word say? The supremacy. Supremacy. Take your pen and underline it. Supremacy or preeminence. Jesus holds all things together. This Bible says that he holds the church together. And in a minute here, it's going to say that he holds you together. He holds you together when you're going through difficulty, when you're going through sickness, when you're going through frustration, when you're going through the anxiety of what's going on around you. Jesus is the one who holds you together. He holds the church together. He holds all things together. Some people are like, I don't know about the church, man. It's bad news. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in the church. I just, you know, I just don't really like all those hypocrites, man. Yeah, like it's a surprise that the church is full of hypocrites. (laughs) Yeah, people who are saved, rescued from darkness, working out their own salvation. Any of you feel like you haven't ever been a hypocrite? No, you are, which is why you need the work of Jesus. Look, when we, when we think about this, Jesus deserves supremacy over our lives. He's got, to have, he's got to have preeminence and not just prominence. We can't just have him as a hobby. He has to have control over everything. That's who Jesus is. You can't be defined by anything other than the work of Christ. That's the deal of being born again, you know. You can't be defined by your money. You can't be defined by where you work. You can't be defined by your family. You drop all the definitions that we take in this world, and you use only the definition, the mark of Christ. Nothing else defines you. Only Jesus turning you into his image, working his will and his way into you, giving him supremacy over everything in your life. Sometimes it's even the good things that nudge Jesus aside. Work and ministry and trying to take care of other people, Sometimes those things take the top spot, but we have to keep Jesus in the center. We have to keep him in charge of all. Verse 19 says, for God was pleased to have all fullness, all of God dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. Everybody say peace. Jesus is the one who makes peace through his blood. Shed on the cross. Peace between man and God. Peace between man and man. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. That's what the angels said when they arrived on the scene in Bethlehem. They arrived and they said, Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Jesus is not just a baby. He's a soon coming king. I want you to get a new revelation of Jesus this Christmas. What does that mean for you? Close your eyes, bow your heads, let's pray and let the Holy Spirit speak to you about who He is. Who He is, what He can do, how He can work in your life. I'm struck by the fact that so many of us, uh, Jesus just gets crowded out. We're busy. We got stuff to do, kind of doing our own thing. We're struggling through life. Could I challenge you tonight to make him supreme overall? Could I challenge you to include him in every way, in every area of your life? I challenge you to see him more than a cute little baby in a manger, but the one who came to destroy sin and death in your life, the one who came to rescue you from darkness and chains that want to cause shame, want to cause all of the, the evil of your own heart to have its own way and to cause destruction in your life. Jesus came to destroy all that. I wonder if you would listen to the voice of God's spirit tonight and let him take over. You don't have to think about it very long to begin to identify the places where he needs to come, where he needs to heal, where he needs to touch, where he needs to live, where he needs to reign. Where do you need to make Jesus supreme in your life? Maybe it's the first time tonight or or the first time in a long time, but I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want to lead you in the prayer of of commitment, of surrendering to Jesus, the one and only. I want to... Just you to not necessarily repeat after me, but maybe under your breath, you just pray this prayer that I'm gonna lead you in. And let's let's give our lives to Jesus in a new way. Let's make him the centerpiece of our lives again. Let's let's give him the adoration that he deserves. Why don't you just pray with me? Father, we just come to you and we're all convinced that we um, we can't make it on our own we're empty and lifeless without you our lives are filled with foolishness and darkness and chains and addictions and we, we, we don't know how to get free from that without you you're the one we don't want to be defined by anything except you defined only by you Whether it's at work or at school, in our relationships, in our marriage, with our kids, with whatever, whatever, whoever we are, to let go of our lives, to come to the end of ourselves and to make you Savior, Lord and King. Father, forgive us, forgive me for doing my own thing and just going my own way, making life revolve around me. I want to make my life revolve around you. Save me, rescue me, change me, give me a new start. Lord Jesus, I put you in the place of honor in my life. All the worries, all the anxieties, I surrender them to you. I ask you to be Lord. Forgive me, cleanse me, heal me, heal the hurts, heal the wounds, change me. I receive it now. I receive your work in my life. I receive the work of your spirit. I thank you for this. I choose to follow you all the days of my life. In your name, Jesus, we pray.